Hi everyone, my name is Ryan Alexander and I serve as the lead pastor at Hosanna. As we've been saying for years, we believe the Lord led you here. And we hope that what you hear today will encourage you to take a step forward in your faith journey and help you look more like Jesus. After today's message, I encourage you to download the Hosanna app for more opportunities to connect and grow. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, church. Welcome, welcome, welcome to everyone that's joining us online or at all of our campuses or at a later time. We truly mean it when we say we believe the Lord led you here. Now, I know that I might not be a familiar face to many, but my name is Sochiat. I want to introduce myself, and I oversee student ministries as the pastor of student ministries at our Rosemont campus. Um, and it is a blessing to be here with you this morning. I'm married to my beautiful wife, Monta, and we have four kids together, Ashley, Alina, Alexis, and Ariane. You'll hear a little bit more about my story later, but I suffice it to say that uh, it is a miracle um, that I am here before you. And as a messenger of the gospel, I am deeply grateful that the teaching team has entrusted me with the message this morning as it is near and dear and close to my heart. Now, if you worship with us regularly, you know, but if you're new, I want to get you up to speed with what we have been doing as a church. As a church, we have been going through the entire Bible together, mega theme by mega theme. In January, we started in Genesis, and we hope to get to Revelation by December. And we are currently in the mighty book of Romans in a series called Believe. Romans is a letter by the Apostle Paul to a church that he had not yet visited who are asking questions about what it means to be the church, what it means to be followers of Christ and what we believe. And that's what we're going to do too. We're going to look at the letter uh, that Paul wrote to the, Ro uh, the Romans and we're going to ask the same questions and we're going to find the answers to the same questions of what is it that we believe? What is it that we as followers of Christ believe? What should we believe? How are we to live as faith-filled followers of Jesus? Because we all find ourselves asking questions about like if we get it right or if we're doing it right. This week, or today, I mean, um, we're going to look at how we get it right. Who makes us right? And that is Jesus. Last week, uh, Pastor Pear shared a message about sin and salvation. Um, and, and ultimately, that we all have a sin problem that needs a solution. We looked at Romans 3.23, where it says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. And if you didn't get a chance to see Pastor Pear's message, I do encourage you to go online or to our app and check it out. He talks about belief, uh, bow hunting, the Bible, and beer. <laughs> You're scratching your head. All the more reason you need to go check it out. Uh, this week, we get to talk about a big theological word called justification, how we are made right in God, how we are made right by God. And in the book of Romans, Paul spends a lot of time clarifying how we are made right before God. Because back then, and even today, there are a lot of confusions around what it means to be made right with God, and the topics of works, and the topic of faith. Work, striving and doing and doing and faith, just simply believing. There are a lot of confusions around this topic. And so today we're going to look at how we are justified and what that means for a person who believes and proclaims that they are followers of Jesus. The term justification is a legal term uh, that describes a judge rendering a not guilty verdict in the court of law. To be justified is to be declared not guilty cleared of everything that was against a person, 
and all of the implications and consequences that come with it. Biblically, when it comes to sin, this is the gospel. Biblically, when it comes to sin, justification by faith is the gospel. Sin is not just about the moral failings of the past that need forgiveness. It is also about how these moral failings define us and have all sorts of implications, all sorts of uh, repercussions when it comes to us being in the presence of God, taking our stance as how we serve God, the ability to commune with him, and how we are to become his people in the kingdom of God. Being justified means that we are cleared of everything that sin has placed against us and declared righteous in God's sight. For many of us, the Holy Spirit has already revealed this truth to us. For many of us, that is true. But if we're honest, being justified by faith alone, without works, is a concept out of our finite minds. We just don't understand it. We, we, we don't quite get it because we live in a culture where you have to work for everything, and nothing is handed out to us. So naturally, it's only uh, natural for us to ask the questions, what do you mean all I have to do is believe to be justified? What do you mean? Because humanity has always tried to make peace with the gods through works, and that doesn't make sense to us. Being justified by faith alone is something that we don't understand. We do get, however, we do understand how to earn by working. We do know the concepts of what it means to do good things and get something in return. Uh, as a father of four, I can tell you many stories of my kids doing good things in expectation for something in return. And sometimes even th doing things that are not so good uh, and expecting something and expecting a reward. For example, when our kids were super little, we're at a kitchen table, at our kitchen table, having dinner. And being of Cambodian descent, we like to eat spicy foods and sometimes spicy sauces and stuff like that. And there was a bowl sitting uh, on the table of Thai chili peppers. And the kids were messing around. They were daring each other to eat it and whatnot. Where my uh, youngest daughter, Alexis, who is 16 at the, now, but she was five at the time, she picks one up. She's waving it around at her siblings. And they're like laughing and giggling. They're smelling it, daring each other to eat it. When I jokingly say... I dare you, or I will give you $5 if you, and before I could finish my sentence, Alexis throws the pepper in her mouth and starts chewing. All of us are looking at her, just watching her chew this pepper, holding a straight face. My wife, Monta, goes, Alexis, are you okay? And she's like. <laughs> and I'm like, is it spicy? And she's like. <laughs> Even as tears are falling down her face, she is keeping a straight face to deter, and she is determined to earn $5. Recently, I was making some food with hot Thai chili peppers, and this story came back to me, so I picked one up, and I was like, Alexis. <laughs> and I offered her the same uh, reward. This time, she declined, um, and I, to this day, she, well, now she has a very, very high tolerance for spice. Until this day, she, she claims that we haven't gotten, given her the $5. I believe we did, but Alexis, double or nothing. <laughs> we all have done things like this one time or another. There's something in our human nature that expects us to do things, to earn things, even if what we're doing is kind of ridiculous, right? which is why justification by faith doesn't ring like reality to us. 
But justification by faith is what separates biblical Christianity from all other religions and beliefs. Justification by faith is what separates us from all religions, other religions and beliefs. Only in true biblical Christianity is man saved as a result of grace through faith. Only when we get back to the Bible do we see that justification is by faith alone, apart from works, or sola fide, as Martin Luther says it. And this is a mega theme found throughout the entire Bible, from Abraham to Job to, to uh, David. Isaiah prophesies that the servant of the Lord will make all righteous and carry their iniquities. Habakkuk says that, that we should live a, uh, the righteous life by faith, a principle that he lived himself. And even our Lord Jesus himself shares a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector who both go up to a temple to pray. And the Pharisee, in his own self-righteousness, looks up to God and he's thanking God for not being like all of these wicked people around him, including the tax collector that went into the temple with him. But the tax collector, in shame, looks down, standing at a distance. He's unable to even look up to God. He's beating on his chest, and he says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And who does Jesus say goes home righteous in the eyes of God? The tax collector. The tax collector. Justification by faith is found through the scripture because it is how we are made right in the sight of God. But it is most taught, uh, clearly taught by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to join me in Romans. We're going to go to Romans chapter 3 here, starting at verse 21. Paul wants the church to understand and grasp this concept, that there's nothing we can do, that we are saved by faith alone. And remember that he's writing to a church that he had not yet visited, but was trying to figure out what they believed. And so let's, let's read here, starting at verse 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right by God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who they are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And yet, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Let me read that one more time. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows us that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and included them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. He, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is, based, is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. You hear that? It is not by obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. On the cross... 
Jesus, Jesus stands in our place as fully human, our fully human representative, and through his own death, puts to death what stood against us. And how the Bible puts it, nailing it to the cross. And then through the resurrection, he gives us a new status, a new family, and a new identity. People are made right with God when they believe, as Paul wrote many a times in this short passage, when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. We are justified when we believe. The best way for me to illustrate this, uh, this concept is to share from my lived experience and my story and, and where I come from and how I grew up and my experiences and how I encountered this truth. My faith story begins in 1989 when a missionary couple named Norman and Paula Odegaard came knocking on our family's door. I was four years old at the time and my parents invited them in to have a cup of tea. They came to share the gospel um, with us and my, parent, my family is not Christian. My family, being of Southeast Asian descent, uh, grew up, I grew up in a Buddhist household. But my family let them in and they continued to come every Christmas, every Easter, every birthday, up until I was about 14 years old. Norman and Paula would always come. They would bring gifts to us on, on our birthdays and stuff. It always gospel, always gospel-centered gifts, whether it was uh, uh, books or toys or VHSs. If you know what that is, students, it's just like, or young people, it's like this, never mind. You just put it in, you put it in a box, you press play, okay, anyway. It's like a DVD, it's like, okay, let me just stop. Although my family was not Christian, like I mentioned, my family did not oppose their gifts and their love that they expressed for us. This was where the first seeds of faith were planted in my life. At the same time, being of Cambodian, growing up in a Buddhist home, uh, like I mentioned, it was, there was a heavy, heavy, heavy um, understanding of works. Doing good, doing good, doing good. You got to do good works. You, there's karma. What goes around comes around. Food offerings. We offer food to ancestors, to Buddha, all of these things in hopes of, of doing good works. We hope to one day, when we leave this earth, be reincarnated to try to do it over again. And the community and the environment that I grew up in caught up to me pretty quickly. Because although my parents had good intentions and, and taught me to live a good life, the streets that I grew up in, the inner city, uh, showed me a different way of life, that it was survival of the fittest. And so at a very early age, by the age of 13, I was influenced to affiliate myself with a gang and to join a gang, and at the same time, seeds were still being planted. There was a church in Rosemont called Rosemont First Baptist that would come out to the inner city um, in red buses to pick up kids and bring them out to Rosemont, which is crazy because I'm over at the Rosemont campus now as a youth pastor, but they would pick us up. They would pick up Bloods from the west side and pick up Crips from Selby, put them all in the same bus, and let's just say that it was a very, very exciting ride for those Christians on the way to and from Rosemont uh, back and forth to these events. But the community I grew up in caught up to me quick. As a Cambodian American growing up in the inner city, uh, identity and belonging is how the enemy tried to snare me. I was not Cambodian enough. I was not American enough. And I found myself caught up in crime, experimenting with drugs, and almost losing my life on many, many occasions. At the age of 16, and caught up in the street life and partying and breaking my parents' heart, I found myself 
uh, in a, a nightclub that I wasn't even old enough to be in. I shouldn't have been in the first place on the east side of St. Paul. And after several alcoholic beverages, an altercation uh, ensued between an affiliate of, my, affiliate of mine and some rival gang members. A huge brawl um, started, and we started fighting. There was chairs being thrown, bottles being um, thrown, and eventually the security was able to get us outside of the building, kicked us out of that place, but the, it wasn't over yet. As I was headed towards our vehicle where we kept our weapons, where, where we said, like, if something happens, we got to go to the car. A car skirts up, and a bunch of guys jump in, jump out, I mean. One of them has a pistol, and he starts shooting. Pow! I hit the deck a little bit. I'm wearing a bright white T-shirt, so I'm clearly uh, uh, very noticeable and a clear target. And so they start chasing me, and then it's pow! Bullets flying past my head. Pow! Another one. As they're chasing me, I turn around, which I shouldn't have done. I slipped out of my shoes, and then they all run up to me, and they start beating me up. I get jumped by what is like 10 to 15 guys. They're ripping out my jewelry, and they're beating me. The guy with the gun is hitting me in the head with the gun, and then it stops. And I think that it's over, and so I manage to get myself back up on my knees, and there they are standing at a short distance, and they come in for round two, and they're beating me up. And I knew, or I didn't know, but I thought that I was going to die on this night when the guy with the gun tells everyone to move back, hits me with the gun, points it to my head, pulls the trigger, and click. There was no more bullets left. 16 years old. What's crazy, too, is this happened on a Sunday night, probably like 1 a.m., on Easter Sunday morning. Um in 2001, and as I look back at life now, I realize and I praise God for sparing my life. Sparing my life because I would not be here in front of you sharing about this if he didn't spare my life. Amen, amen. Fast forward. There's a lot of stuff that happens in between there and what I'm about to share with you now. Fast forward to 2010, my wife Monte and I were invited to a church by a couple that owned a care home my father-in-law had to stay in for a while. My wife grew up um, in, in a Buddhist household too, but she encountered Jesus at five years old and in her teen, teenage years, she drifted away from her faith. But at, at, in 2010, the Holy Spirit started to speak to her. And so she would say to me, we need to find a church for our family. And I said, that's cool. That's cool. I'm a Buddhist and a gang member, which doesn't make sense, um, but I'm cool with that. We can do that. We were invited, and we eventually accepted this invitation, and we walked into a church for the first time, and this church that we went to, Pastor Pierre Nilsson was preaching, and we walk up, and the, uh, our guests that, or our friends that invited us to us sit in the front, like right in that area right there. <laughs> And it was weird and the most awkward experience I've ever experienced in my life. There was people with their hands in the air. I'm like, what's going on here? But I was in. I was open. Probably because of all the seeds that were planted in my life, I was open. And we continued coming and we continued going to church. And I remember saying to my wife, yeah, I mean, this is not for me, but it's good for the kids. It's not for me. I'm a Buddhist, but it's good for the kids. So we kept going. And eventually, the messages that were spoken started to, to touch my heart and started to pierce my heart. And so one day I said to God, I said, if you're real, 
Now, don't do this, guys. Or maybe you should. I don't know. I said, if you're real, Jesus, if you're everything that they say you are, that I hear them preaching about here, prove it to me. And on that night, I had a dream, and in short, Jesus visited me in this dream. I didn't see his, his uh, physical being, but I experienced the presence of eternal peace and freedom. One that I've never experienced before, where, where the weight of the world was lifted off of my shoulders. This was one out of many dreams that would come. But it wasn't enough yet for me to say yes to Jesus. There was a pride and a stubbornness in me that still just wanted to, for God to prove to me that he was real, no matter how many dreams I got. But on March 20th, 2011, it was a Sunday sitting at church. I was moved by the Holy Spirit. Emotionally overwhelmed with tears falling down my face, I had a revelation. And it finally dawned on me that no matter no matter how many times I believe that I would be reincarnated to try to do it all over again, no matter how many times, if that was, was to happen because that was the belief I believed in, I would never get it right because I'm human. And so it doesn't matter how many times I would be reincarnated because I am a sinner and we all have sinned and we all have fallen short of God's glorious standards. So I would never be able to get it right, no matter how many times I believe I would be reincarnated, ever. And no matter how, many amount of, how much amount of good works that I would do, it would never atone for the amount of wrong that I have done. What, I, what happened at the club? was a consequence of my lifestyle, a sinful lifestyle. It followed me. That was one out of a thousand, over-exaggerating, a thousand times that I almost lost my life or went to jail or got hurt. There was no amount of good works that I could do that would atone for my wrong. And I remember internalizing, what if I'm just one good deed short? What if I'm just one good deed short of salvation? And it dawned on me that I will always be one good deed short of salvation. We will always be one good deed short of salvation. There's nothing we can do to reach that goal because we all miss the mark. And so I was compelled that morning as I received this revelation to say yes to Jesus and on the same morning, my wife re recommitted her life to Christ. The gospel made complete sense to me that God had to do it, that God had to do it because I can't do it myself. More so that God chose to do it, guys. God chose to do this for me. Jesus, who had no sin, has to be the way, has to be the truth, has to be the life. Jesus is life. And I was compelled to say yes to life and to put to death, death. A decision that has changed not only my life, but my family's life forever. A year later, my entire family was baptized. Three generations, including my late father-in-law. Amen. Three of us, three generations. 
I accepted a call into ministry by faith. I felt the Lord was calling me into ministry. I, I went to my wife and asked or tell her, like I felt the Lord is telling me to step into ministry. I have no idea what I'm gonna do, but we prayed and she said, yeah. Put a two week notice at my job and now I'm here standing in front of y'all. Praise God, yeah, keep up. Jesus, 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 all Jesus. Good works should come from our faith and what God reveals to us. I'm not saying we shouldn't do good works at all. We shouldn't go through life doing terrible things and saying, oh, well, because I'm saved by faith alone anyways. No, our faith should motivate us to good works. And saying yes to Jesus also expanded my passion for hip hop. Music that I created that glorified that lifestyle, now I use that same gift and same talent to bring glory to the kingdom of God and reach people in spaces and places that a lot of people aren't willing to go to and to bring the good news. Where I've seen lives come, souls come to Christ because Jesus blessed my yes and he wants to bless your yes. All you have to do is believe. And yet, as the miracle standing here before you, and yet, I still have to remind myself. I have to remind myself to stop striving because I'm human. And I always feel like I gotta do, do, do too. I have to remind myself that I am loved by the creator of the universe. I need to remember that he has already done it for me and, and what he has already done is all that I need to know and all that I need to believe in. I need to remember that and I need to believe that. I am forgiven. And so church, what about you? What about you this morning? What's stirring in your heart? What do you need to believe this morning? Are you striving? Are you, are you running out of energy and, and living in oppressive guilt inside because all, you're trying to strive for what has already been given to you freely? Trying to do more and do more and do more, trying to prove, trying to prove, trying to prove yourself. What are you internalizing and what is detention? There is a lifestyle before me that keeps trying to come at me, but I need to remember what I've went through, what God has done, and look forward. Where are you this morning? We live in a world that does not believe in the resurrection, and that is the tension. The tension is that we live in a world that does not believe in the resurrection. But if you come to church and you pray because you believe in the resurrection, then what you need to believe and what you should believe because you believe in the resurrection is you need to believe that you are justified. To believe in the resurrection is to believe that you are justified. As Paul says in verse 28, we are justified when we believe we don't have to do anything. It is not by our behavior. It is not by our works. It is by faith alone. Sola fide. God is the great God of the universe. He is the one who justifies us. He is the one who does it for us. No one else could do this. It is God that we have sinned against, and it is God alone who can justify and declare us not guilty simply because he loves us.
Believe it. He loves us. And so in a short moment here at all of our campuses, we're going to have some time to reflect on these questions and what we might be internalizing this morning. Our worship teams are going to come up here and lead us in a song. During this time, church, hear me. Don't feel like you need to do anything. Don't feel like you need to raise your hands. If the Holy Spirit compels you to do it, don't, need, don't feel like you need to stand up. Just allow the Holy Spirit to move in your hearts this morning because there are people at all of our churches, at all of our campuses, who have been going to church since they were little, and this is still a struggle in their life. And God wants you to know that all you need to do is believe and let me move in your heart. So don't feel like you need to do anything. During this time, let the Holy Spirit move and lead you into the presence of the King. Amen? Let me pray for you guys. Let me pray for us. Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, King Jesus, I thank you for your Holy Spirit moving in our lives. Your word says that nobody can proclaim that you are King except by the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, Holy Spirit, as you move in the hearts of those listening, I pray that you would renew their mind, their soul, their heart, and their belief in you that they could let go of the tension of doing good works and hold on to the truth that it's by faith alone that we are justified and that we are your children and that we are loved. We encourage each other every week to go and love our neighbors, but first we need to know that we are loved by you, to believe that. And so today, this morning, God, we release all the tension and all the striving and all the works that we have been trying to accomplish to you and ask that you will replace it and fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.